Our teaching text this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, and also Philippians, chapter 4. First, from Luke's Gospel. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And now from Philippians. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year to you. You guys got some good resolutions? It's like, I don't do those. They're called goals, bro. I'm crushing them. I, I want to begin uh, this morning by uh, reading a poem. Uh, this is by Ted Loder, and uh, it's a poem that's in the form of a, of a prayer. Holy One, there is something I wanted to tell you, but, I have, but there have been errands to run, bills to pay, arrangements to make, meetings to attend, friends to entertain, washing to do, and, and I forget what it was I wanted to say to you. And mostly, I forget what I'm about or why. Oh God, don't forget me, please, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Eternal one, there is something I wanted to tell you, but my mind races with worrying and watching, with weighing and planning, with rutted slights and pothole grievances, with leaky dreams and leaky plumbing, and leaky relationships that I keep trying to plug up. And my attention is preoccupied with loneliness, with doubt. And with things I covet. And I forget what it is I wanted to say to you. And how to say it honestly. Or how to do much of anything. Oh God don't forget me please. For the sake of Jesus Christ. Almighty one there is something I wanted to ask you. But I stumble along the edge of a nameless rage. Haunted by a hundred floating fears. Of war. Of losing my job. Of of failing. Of getting sick and old having loved ones die or dying myself. And I forget, what is the real question I wanted to ask? And I forget to listen anyway because you seem unreal and far away. And I forget what it is I have forgotten. Oh God, don't forget me, please, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Our Father in heaven, perhaps you've already heard what I wanted to tell you. What I wanted to ask in my blundering way is, don't give up on me Don't become too sad about me, but laugh with me and and try again with me, and I with you too. Our Father in heaven, perhaps you've already heard what I wanted to tell you. What I wanted to ask is, forgive me, heal me, increase my courage, please. Renew in me a little of love and faith and a sense of confidence and a vision of what it might mean to live as though you were real. And I mattered, and everyone was sister and brother. What I wanted to ask for is peace enough to want and work for more, for joy enough to share, for awareness that is keen enough to sense your presence here, now, then, always. Amen. I love that prayer because I resonate so much with it. Uh, I so appreciate its honesty, and I look at it as a starting place for prayer. <laughs> Wherever you really are, that is where you can begin. Uh, 
I want to say straight off the top that I, I believe that if you and I could do one thing this year that would have the greatest impact on our lives, on our families, on our work, on our church, on our city, it would be to grow as people who pray. I'm guessing that's not terribly shocking. I have the pastoral Britney Spears microphone on. This is church. I'm a pastor saying you should pray. And of, of course, of course I would say that. But one of the great tragedies of faith for us, I think one of the places where disillusionment creeps into our experience of knowing God. I think this is true for many of us personally and certainly it's true across, across many uh, expressions of American Christianity is that we have focused so much and so intensely on getting, getting right our beliefs like getting right what we believe about God, that many of us in the, in the process have lost any real ongoing interactive relationship with God. We're deeply concerned about, do we believe the right things about God? Um, but my guess is that when it comes to the ongoing practice of talking and listening to God, many of us would say, honestly, I have so much room to grow. My guess, though, is that you pray um, at least some, 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 some times. Um, the statistics actually on prayer are really staggering across all manner of people, believers of every religion and non-believers, atheists, almost no one, if they're asked, honestly, will say they don't pray at all. Even, even atheists, right, they, they pray at, at, at some point. The vast majority of the world prays. But then when you get a little bit further down into the research, you find that for most of us, it only composes a few minutes of our day. It's very sporadic, and it's often not a tremendous shaping force in our life. But here we are, Trinity Grace Park Slope, at the beginning of a new year. And my, my guess, again, is that if I asked you, I know many of you, I know if I asked you about the importance of prayer... I think many of you would give fantastic, really well-articulated ideas of how important it is. You, you actually could probably give a, a sermon or, or a reflection on the importance of prayer but, but better than I, than I can. Still, though, I bet if I followed up with the question is, do you think that you could or do you want to pray more? I imagine that almost all of us would say yes. So we struggle. And I just want to confess right, 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 right here at the start that I hope by the end of our time this morning and as we move through this series on prayer um, that you will begin to long to talk and listen to God, to pray as much or more than you ever have. That's my simple hope for us is that wherever we are, that we could grow a little bit and learning to have an interactive relationship with God. And I want to say that it's the, it's the beginning of the year. I'm not saying this at all to lay any guilt or shame on you. I love what Andrew said about we do have a holy God, but he doesn't operate in motivation by guilt. <laughs> he doesn't operate in motivation by fear. He operates in motivation by love. And so guilt and shame are not going to carry you very far in a prayer practice in your life. And so I just want to say that um, at any point throughout this, if you feel like, man, I'm really not doing well, just like move quickly past that to the invitation of God's love. I want us to pray uh, because prayer is the place where we access the God of love that we say we believe in. Prayer is the place 
where you access the God of love that we say we believe in. Richard Foster puts it this way. I love the, the, the sort of seesaw tension in this. We today yearn for prayer and hide from prayer. We are attracted to it and repelled by it. We believe prayer is something we should do, even something we want to do, but it seems like a chasm stands between us and actually praying. We experience the agony of prayerlessness. When I heard that phrase, it stood out to me so much. I felt like in the most honest confession of, of our church, in the last years, except for some sporadic moments, some crisis prayers, some things thrown up as we're on our way to work, I think many of you have known, I think I have known that feeling of the agony of prayerlessness. The agony of prayerlessness is knowing there is so much more to God than you are experiencing. The agony of prayerlessness is firmly believing, singing out even that there is an ocean of God's love and yet never going by for a swim. We can know the agony of prayerlessness on a human level pretty quickly if you just put it in the context of, of, of a relationship that you're familiar with. Can you imagine or do you maybe already know what it's like to be married, to have fallen in love, to have had the ceremony, to have made the promises, but to have drifted to a place where you barely speak or when you speak you know there's not even a real exchange happening. The pain in those moments of the distance of relationship is so agonizing because you know what is possible. And that is something of the agony of prayerlessness. We really believe. But when we really believe and then we don't pray, what happens is we start to manage a low-level tension in our soul. And eventually, that low-level tension in our soul gets us to the place where we ask, do I really believe at all? I'll confess to you, I want to pray because prayer is loving. That is the expression. It is it is one of the primary expressions of how we love and receive love from God. I want you to pray because prayer is loving. Not because it will make us a better church. Not because if we're really doing it, this room will grow. Not because if we do it, we'll have to go to two services and we'll manage a bigger budget and we can, we can do more outreach. I want, I want you to pray first because that is how you love. <laughs> By talking and listening. Super simple, I want you to consider this. I believe that the meaning of life is relationship. I believe that is essential to the character of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in the character of God is relationship. The nature of reality is rooted in relationship. And I believe the primary way you cultivate relationship is by talking and listening. I believe that Jesus was right when he summarized everything, right? He was pinned down by people who were trying to trap him, get him to pick some part of the Mosaic law, and therefore they would have an opportunity then to say, ah, you missed this emphasis. And yet Jesus summarizes so beautifully. He says, it all comes down to this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. I believe the nature of life, the meaning of life is relationship. I believe that when Jesus summarized it in that, in that way, that he was correct, and then this incredible thing. Jesus' disciples, 
They saw him do the miracles. They saw him do so many incredible things. They heard the most incredible teaching about the kingdom of God drip from his lips. They saw the integrity of his life. They saw him in, in, the, in the high and, and visible celebrated moments. And they saw him in the, in, in the quiet moments where no one else was. Those who knew him best, they knew the engine of his life. They saw the relationship at work. And so when they asked for him to teach them something, of all the things they could have asked, they, they said this, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. So, we're going to try to learn. We're going to take the next nine weeks. This is the season of epiphany. It is a season where for centuries the church has asked the question, if, if Jesus has come in Advent and Christmas as, as he really is, if, if we can believe these claims about this, this Messiah, this Lord who, was, who, who lived and was, is, is, is crucified and resurrected for our life, how do you then live in light of his coming? And there's nothing I think is more important for our church or for your life of how to live in light of, of, of the coming of Jesus, then you learn how to pray. In 1992, um, and I, like I said, I, I confess, I know, I know a, lot of you, a lot of you do pray already, so I'm not, I'm not trying to come down and say that, that you don't at all. I, I know that you do, but I, I know also for myself, even though I do pray, there is a vast expanse that I have left unexplored, and I want to grow in it. So, so when I say to pray, it's to start in prayer, maybe for the first time, or, or to grow in prayer, or, or to learn to love prayer. What if in nine weeks, how different would your life be in 2019 if in nine weeks from now you loved praying as much as you ever had? You didn't think of it as something that was a chore or a duty or boring, but it was something that you delighted to run to. In 1992, Richard Foster wrote a word and an invitation to the church from the heart of God. I think it's prophetic. I think it's, it was, I mean, it, this was years before, um, uh, I can't believe, I, I just was thinking about this yesterday. I can't believe I moved to New York City before there was the iPhone, before there were smartphones at all. Do you remember T9 when you had to text people and hit the button like three times? This is how we communicated at one point, rudimentary, like banging rocks together. 2007, right? The, f- the first phone comes out. Now we have a 24-hour news cycle. Everyone's carrying the internet in your pocket. Like you're looking at people's filtered you know, photographs of how, they, they lived, how they're living their best life now. Like there's so many distractions. When, when Foster wrote this in 1992, none of that was around yet. And still, I think that this, this word maybe rings even truer all these years later. Listen to this. This is Richard Foster. God has graciously allowed me to catch a glimpse into his heart, and I want to share with you what I have seen. Today, the heart of God is an open wound of love. He aches over our distance and preoccupation. He mourns that we do not draw near to him. He grieves that we have forgotten him. He weeps over our obsession with muchness and manyness. He longs for our presence, and he is inviting you and me to come home, to come home to where we belong, to come home to that for which we were created. His arms are stretched out wide to receive us. His heart is enlarged to take us in. For too long we have been in a far country, a country of noise and hurry and crowds, a country of climb and push and shove, a country of frustration and fear and intimidation, and he welcomes us home, home to serenity and peace and joy, home to friendship and fellowship and openness, home to intimacy and acceptance and affirmation. 
I just want to confess before you as, as your pastor that from the bottom of my heart, I want to say yes to that invitation. And I want to ask you to come along as well. And more than anything, I don't want to just share with you some theories on prayer. I want to ask that you would practice it with me. That you would press into actually talking and listening. Like the instruction, the theory about prayer is not going to help you at all unless you actually pray. So, really simply, I just want to look. The, 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 the second teaching text from Philippians just has some super simple, scrape them right off the top, instructions for how to pray. And if you begin even to feel the smallest tickling of a longing to pray more than you have been, I want you to hear these instructions. We're going to take our time, nine weeks of just learning to pray more, more than we have. Whatever else your other resolutions and goals and hopes and dreams are for this year, I promise you they will be enhanced and strengthened and furthered along if you simply learn to talk and listen to your Heavenly Father more than you have. So here, here are these really, really simple instructions. Philippians 4. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So, right off the top, I just want to give you these simple instructions. The first thing that I want us to notice is the way the passage starts. The Lord is near. And actually, um, leave that up for just a second. So many times when you hear this verse quoted, actually the Lord is near is from the verse before. And so people always start it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every uh, situation, blah, blah, blah. But the Lord is near is so crucial. The Lord is near is, is, the, is, the, is the reason, right? Like, if the Lord is not near, you should go ahead and be anxious about a lot. <laughs> like it's on you. You better get to work, get up a little earlier, make a list. You should be freaking out, quite frankly, if it's on you. But if the Lord is near, then that is the basis by which the next thing can come. So simple but utterly crucial. Just for a second, what if there was... A God who really was love in very being. What if there was a God who was deeply, highly relational and was longing, like Richard Foster said, to draw near to you, to invite you to come home, to embrace you, right? One of the things you'll hear of people who, who, who they, they would describe themselves as far from God. I talk a lot with people um, who, you know, like aren't, aren't believers. And, and they'll say, I'm not going to bother God with what's going on in my life. Like whatever it takes to like run the universe. I don't think God is, is like concerned with the fact that I'm short on grocery money this month. I don't think God is, is that concerned with the fact that like I'm dealing with this pornography thing over here. Or, or this relationship fell apart. Or I'm not sure like he's God. Like right? But that's not how God presents himself. That's how you present your version of God to God. But God presents himself to you as a highly relational and incredibly attentive God. And you know what? For God to be wildly attentive to you, it doesn't mean that you're the center of the world. Some people think like if God was gonna listen to me, it would mean that I'm, I'm super important. No, actually it says something more about God than it says about you. It says that he's so magnificent, so up the scale on complexity and, 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 and beauty and majesty of being up from, from humans that he can be present to every single one of us. This morning... In, in, a, in, a, in a fairly chaotic house, I don't know what your life is like on Sunday morning, but it's like anything that's going to happen, it's going to happen on Sunday at our house. And I just like pull up crisscross applesauce on my Ikea couch in the middle cushion, and I just like, in, in like 
I'm, my hip flexors are aching a little bit. I'm, I pull the coffee near me and I just say, Heavenly Father. And honestly, in just a moment, of, I don't even get out anything else. There is some small but meaningful change in my heart, in my mind, in the environment of the room, just by saying, Heavenly Father. And somehow, in the middle of my apartment, in the middle of that chaos, in the middle of, I should have planned this a little bit better, and I don't know that we have enough printer ink, and how are we going to get to two baseball practices today, and I'm never going to be good at Fortnite, and my kids know this. Like, all these things that are floating around in my head. I just say, Heavenly Father, and it's like, there is something there. There is something there. And, and it says that the word of God is, is more true than your mood and circumstances or, or even your ability to reason things out, that it goes from everlasting to everlasting. So far on the other side before whatever you're dealing with and far on the other side of, of, uh, in the future of whatever you're dealing with, it says the Lord is near and that doesn't change. Paul is writing this from prison, right? He's not sitting crisscross applesauce on the top of a mountain like journaling in in Sanskrit and gonna pass this on to his followers to carry down the mountain. He's in a dirty, deserted jail, like writing by candlelight. The guy was already basically going blind. But he said, I'm, I'm learning to know that the Lord is near whether I'm in this jail. He said the same thing when he was on his missionary journey, when he was young and full of zeal. He goes to Athens, this influential elite city where it says they just sat around listening and hearing to the, the, the newest ideas of the day. And he steps into that environment. He's like, listen, this, this unknown God that you're talking about, this unknown God that you're worshiping, he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. A secret to beginning prayer is to realize that way before you say the first word, God is. He is always previous. He is always present. And as soon as you whisper, or maybe even as soon as you begin to think about whispering, God is near. That's the first miracle, and it is such a miracle. Just like, what if we just got that for the start of the year? That'd be good. That God is near, that he is listening, that he is longing for you to speak and to speak back. The second invitation is to bring what you have. Uh, you, you, you see it there, right? There's this declaration, the Lord is near. And then it says, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So whatever else God's heart is, he doesn't want you to hang on to the anxiety, to fight your way on your own through the depression, to to try five other things on your own, and then eventually pray. He's saying, go ahead and bring it. Bring what you have, whatever it really is. C.S. Lewis, I love this. He says, lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. John Chapman says, pray as you can, not as you can't. Like, I can't pray for an hour. Great. Can you pray for one minute? Can you pray for, th- can you pray for five seconds? You can. Don't, don't pray what you can't. Pray what you can. Bring before him what is really there. Start with where you really are. What if God, think about this, what if God is not really as concerned about your motives for starting prayer as you are? What if he's like a father who's like, yeah, of course, you're my kid. I know you have all sort of mixture of things going on in your life. Why don't you come and sit near me? That would be enough. You're gonna hit some Richard Foster in this series. Guy's great. Here's another one. Ready? 
The truth of the matter is we all come to prayer with a tangled mass of motives, altruistic and selfish, merciful and hateful, loving and bitter. Frankly, this side of eternity, we will never, never unravel the good from the bad, the pure from the impure. But what I have come to see is that God is big enough to receive us with all our mixture. We do not have to be bright or pure or filled with faith or anything. That is what grace means. And not only are we saved by grace, we live by it as well and we pray by it. Bring what you really have. You're never going to get past selfish prayers by going around them. Only by going through them. Really bring the surface things of your heart, the the stuff that your mind is really turning over. If you don't believe me, check the Psalms. There's 150 of them, and they're an example of what a vibrant prayer life looks like. And what we know, what you hear read at, at ceremonies and services is, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside green pastures. He li- I'm laying down by the river with God. Psalm 140. May burning coals fall on them. May they be thrown into the fire, into miry pits, never to rise. God, burn their faces. Get them. I am worn out from calling. My throat is parched. My eyes are failing. I'm looking for God. Where is it like, I shall not want. I have no needs now. Me and the Lord. This is how you. You can, like if King David, a man after God's own heart, can bring what was really going on. If he can say, smash all of my enemies to utter bits and may they never return. And then also say like, day and night, I will not cease to tell of your wonders. Day and night, I will, I will look to you. Like, the, <laughs> the angel encamps around those who, like there's, there's beauty and poetry and highlights and celebration and there's agony and doubt and fear and all of it belongs in your prayer. Bring what you really have to God. The last thing I want you to see from these instructions is there is a real exchange in prayer. And this is something that you see in the Psalms. I I think Psalm 73, if you want to write down one, that's a great example of this. Psalm 73 starts out with uh, the the psalmist basically like lamenting. Everyone who does whatever they want, doesn't follow you, gets everything. They have gold chains and they're slick like pumas. This is some ancient imagery for you. And, And they're doing wonderful at everything. I'm trying to follow you in my life. It's an absolute wreck. Where are you, God? That's how the prayer starts. That's the journal entry. Then by the end of it, he's like, surely the Lord is my portion and my strength. Everything I need, I have in you. Like something happens in the process of prayer that is an exchange for all the turmoil and stress and anger and, 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 and rage that's in the person. To the end, something has happened. And now they're, they're, they're having a share in the actual character and presence of God in a real way. Some of us think about prayer like it's just a wish lever, like, oh, I didn't get it this time, or I did get it this time. That's how prayer works. It's not pulling a lever. It's about a relationship. But there is a real exchange that happens in a relationship. The same as if I'm in a tense, anxious moment, I'm frustrated with my wife, and everything I say seems to make things worse. This happened to us on our drive out of town for, our new, for New Year's Eve. We're going to this cabin upstate, and it's like we're both just like staring out the window, like secretly crying, like, 
And every single thing that I said just made things worse. So I was like, I'm going to put on the saddest music I can find. Put a Connor Oberst on. You guys remember that guy? Just like, everything's terrible. Um, I couldn't say anything to God. I just couldn't even stomach praying at all. I was like, help and start with her. That was my whole prayer. But it's, it's amazing. Like, if you begin to practice it, you will see that an exchange takes place. As a matter of fact, look at what God invites you to bring. I'll put them all on a list here. This is what we bring to the prayer game. Anxiety, every situation, our, our requests, and, and also our gratitude. So anxiety, we'll go through these super quickly, right? Anything that is swirling in your mind, anything that is weighing down your heart, anything that is sapping your energy, that is draining your focus, that is leading you to despair, anything whatsoever at all that is churning in your mind, that's what you bring to God in prayer. Bring your anxiety. He's saying to come and to lay it at his feet. Cast, uh, another sort of restatement of this idea by the Apostle Peter is cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The second thing is your request. Tell, um, no, sorry, every situation. Tell God how you're experiencing life, all of it. If you want to know where to begin with prayer, one of my favorite things is, is uh, I'll read the lectionary and uh, a psalm, an Old Testament or New Testament reading, and I'll ask God for one phrase, and I'll put that at the top of a journal entry, and then I'll just vent everything I can think to God. This is, this is one of the ways I pray, and very often by the end of those journal entries, that exchange has begun to happen, but you can start with every anxiety and every situation you're dealing with. There's some material there for prayer. The second is, or the third thing there is your request. Ask God for what you need. This is me on New Year's, right? I couldn't muster up anything except help. I need help, God, and I can't even articulate how much I need it or how much damage I continue to do with every sentence I utter. Help. And I'm glad this last one is in there because it is like all those things could be weighted down with negativity, but the gratitude is important, right? If you can even in the smallest, littlest thing, like, right, I thank you, God, that we can afford to drive this car out of, out of the city for a couple of days, even though I have to go with these people. Like one small little sliver of gratitude that you can find. There's, honestly, there's nothing that shifts perspective better or faster than gratitude. So if you can bring your requests and bring them real and bring the anxiety, but if even in the smallest thing you can be like, God, I hate everything and almost everyone and I'm terribly frustrated, but thank you that you're there. Great prayer. You're on your way. This is the real stuff of your life. You want some more Richard Foster? Here it is. We must never believe the lie that says the details of our lives are not the proper content of prayer. For example, we may have been taught that prayer is a sublime and otherworldly activity, that in prayer we are to talk to God about God. As a result, we are inclined to view our experience as, distra as distractions and intrusions into proper prayer. This is an ethereal, decarnate spirituality. We, on the other hand, worship a God who was born in a smelly stable. Remember Christmas? Who walked this earth in blood, sweat, and tears, but who nevertheless lived in perpetual responsiveness to the Heavenly Father. So you bring your anxiety, an accounting of every situation. You bring your request, and if you can, a sliver of gratitude. And look at what you receive. This is not a fair deal. P 
peace beyond, beyond understanding. This is like that, it, sometimes it comes in, in tremendously powerful deposits. Sometimes it is. It's, it's curled up on your Ikea couch with your cup of coffee in a, in, a, in a very chaotic home and you just say, Heavenly Father, one time and you feel a small change. Whatever this means, it means that you begin to have a share in the character and presence of God that transcends your circumstances. It doesn't mean that everything resolves nicely. It transcends your mood. It doesn't mean that you're immediately gonna feel perfect. It transcends even your ability to work things out and logic and reason and learn. It is peace that transcends human understanding. It is a gift deposited into the middle of the chaos where you have a share in the divine nature. That's part of the exchange of prayer. It's peace beyond human understanding. This is, what we're, this is why we're gonna take nine weeks and try to learn prayer because that's the type of promise that goes with it. The second thing that's mentioned is that, that that peace becomes a guard for your heart and mind. Prayer can become something that protects the most sensitive part of your, of your life, your mind and your heart. Tender, sensitive, the crucial parts of you And it says that we get a sense of being in Christ, that we get a sense of being relationally drawn in. If you want to think about the gospel as this ongoing work of God to extend the relationship of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to invite us in as sons and daughters to be family forever. And he began in covenant love with Israel. He comes through the person of Jesus, life, death, and resurrection, and he's inviting us in. That the relational fabric, sort of the electricity, the beauty, the magic of that is that we can talk to God as if he really is our father, as if he really is our brother, as if he really is the very energizing spirit of our life. The gospel is we're being brought into Trinity. Anything that would keep us out has been dealt with by Jesus. Now you have a sense in prayer of being in Christ. So, if you've been in church Five times, I bet one of those times they were talking about prayer. So it's probably not the first time you've heard these things. So why don't we pray? I don't know the reasons for, for you. I know some of mine. I just list the ones I hear a lot. One, I don't want to be a fool. It's something like a sophistication bias, right? We live in a pluralistic and, and highly educated, successful city. People are getting after it. Like, uh, you know, meditation is cool. Stretching is great. Prayer... But listen, I'm not going to deal with each objection in depth. We're going to have nine weeks. But listen, everyone in this city believes something crazy. Talk to them. They will tell you their thing. You believe that you can talk and God will listen. And honestly, that's not even close to the craziest thing. So don't worry about it. Like, don't worry, like, don't be so self-absorbed or self-pitying that you believe you have to protect your image at, at all costs. And by the way, if you pray in secret, no one has to know anyway. So just be a fool if that's what it takes. Just talk to God. The second is, what if God doesn't answer? And this kind of comes back, we're going to talk a lot about this in this series, to the vision of prayer is like pulling a lever and being like, did I get a yes, no, or maybe? Right, that's, uh, that's how we see God as opposed to seeing that we're developing a relationship, Right? That you can't go on a long walk with a friend and be like, did they do what I want? No, I got to know them. I grew in, rela- grew in relationship with them. That's, that's what prayer is. So it's not, a, it's not a thing. Although this is something to deal with. What if God doesn't answer? 
my prayer in the way that I want. Well, there's a lot of resources for dealing with that, but it, it's, not, it's not enough of an objection to say, I'm not, good, I'm not even gonna move forward. Another objection I hear is, I'm not good at it. Right? Especially when it comes to praying out loud. Some people are like, I just can't do it. I have no idea what to say. I'm around these people. They seem to have been practicing their whole lives. I'm not good at praying. Jesus was asked, teach us to pray. You know what he did? He started praying. Richard Foster says, by praying, we learn to pray. Philip Yancey says, we learn to pray by praying. Mother Teresa was asked, how do I pray? And she said, start praying. These are the greats. And they're saying, just do it. You don't have to be good at it. You can bring your anxiety, your situations, your requests, maybe a sliver of gratitude, and you're on your way. I'm not good enough to pray, right? There's this sort of religious idea that circulates in in some of our older traditions that like you've got to clean yourself up before you come to God. Like when you've really blown it, the last thing on earth you're going to do is talk to God. But the gospel says nothing ever about fixing yourself up first. It says just come. As a matter of fact, you're never going to get better away from God. It's in coming into God's presence that the the restoration, the renewal, the transformation, the mercy, the forgiveness is experienced and known. I'm too busy and distracted. And here, come on, this is really the one, isn't it? I got too much going on. I'm too much of a big deal. Secretly, you don't know this, but I'm a very important person. This is, this for many of us, this is the truest reason of all. And I just want to say, don't pray what you can't. Just pray what you can. Can you make, in this next nine weeks, right, a a finite amount of time, can you make some small sacrifice to say 15 minutes before, five minutes before, at the beginning and the end of my day, I'm going to make some effort, some small sacrifice to begin to pray. I promise you, you make time to eat, (laughs) to, to, to stand in line on a Friday at a Trader Joe's. You have some time to pray even then, right there. Here's the thing. I want you to hear this at the first of the year. You have no idea how much you're loved. You have no idea how much you're loved. But when you start experimenting with prayer, you might discover it. I love what Peter Grigg says. He, he, uh, He runs rooms all over the world. He's helped organize them where people pray 24 seven. He says this, the most important discovery you'll ever make is the love the Father has for you. Your power in prayer will flow from the certainty that the one who made you likes you. He's not scowling at you, he's on your side. Unless our mission and acts of mercy, our intercession, petition, confession, and spiritual warfare begin and end in the knowledge of the Father's love, we will act and pray out of desperation, determination, and duty instead of revelation, expectation, and joy. You have no idea how much you're loved. But in prayer, you can begin to discover it. So my, my question is, will you pray with me? Can, can we do this together? Here's what I want to ask you. We're going to take nine weeks to, to look at this on Sundays. I want to ask you, before you leave here today, to do this. To make a commitment to God that you're going to pray over these nine weeks. Be specific about it. Name that commitment before God. What? Like a, a time of the day or, or, or a set number of minutes or, or a practice or I'm going to go on a walk with God. Whatever it is, whatever way you say, I'm going to pray over these nine weeks and, and say that commitment to God. And then I want, you to ask, I want to ask you to share that commitment with someone else. 
There's tremendous power. We make a commitment to God and then we share that commitment with someone else because he has connected us to one another so deeply. And then the last thing I want to ask you is to pray for one another. It's so simple. This is a way, this is the safe room where we can practice. And here's what you can do. You could turn to the person that you came with or sitting next to you, or you could come up the front and someone will pray, pray with you. But you can just say, in the, in the name of Jesus, I bless your commitment. Amen. I ask God to help you keep the thing that you're trying to do. Or, or whatever it is, I move into asking that your aunt would be healed of the cancer she's wrestling with, right? Whatever way, the smallest sentence prayer, we, I'm just gonna invite you to pray over one another. And if you're introverted, do not worry about it. I know you're worried about it, it's fine. Because when we break through that little barrier and we just, we just try, uh, it's so beautiful. And I just, I want you to see that it is easy to begin this flow of talking and listening to God. So I'm gonna pray for you. Then we're gonna, we're gonna worship. And as we're worshiping, I want you to think about what, what, what commitment to prayer can you make for these nine weeks? It can be so simple. It can be so fitting into your life, whatever it is. Say it before God, share it with someone else, and then let's pray even very simply for one another. For someone near you, we're gonna have people up in the front that would love to pray with you over anything at all. As we worship, I just want to invite you to revel in the presence of this Father who loves you more than you can imagine. What a great way to begin the year together. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us to believe that you are near, that you want us to bring whatever is really in us, and that you are the one who can bring an exchange that is real. The smallest and the largest changes, God, you can carry them forward in us. I pray not by guilt and not by fear, but by love, you would just empower our imaginations right now to make commitments to begin this year praying as a church. God, even as, if as a community we are like the people who come at the end of the day and there are others who have been working all day, I pray you would show us that grace of your kingdom. For anyone who takes any step in their heart or mind towards you this morning, would you just embrace them and draw them to yourself to show how magnificent you are, God. In the name of Jesus, teach us to pray. Amen. Let's stand, let's worship, let's make these commitments in our heart and name them to one another. In just a few minutes, I'll invite us to the communion table together. There'll be people up at the front to pray with you. Let's sing out.